I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1995. The album is Shame-Based Man. The artist, Bruce McCullough, and my guest, live from New York. Why did I say live? That's stupid. Ray Harrington. (laughs) It's Saturday night. (laughs) Ray Harrington is with me. Thank you so much for uh, doing the show. Absolutely. It's a a pleasure. Um, I've I've been uh, nerding out uh, listening to previous episodes so it's it's a lot of fun to finally be able to talk uh in part of the conversation (laughs) well i hope you haven't been listening to super early episodes if you have i apologize uh you know thoroughly oh it's podcasting that's the world you know oh my god i mean i've been doing it for almost six years now but it's a world of difference i mean you know but it's uh you you i sound like a child at the beginning like i just we have no (laughs) idea what we're doing um and we've luckily uh this this episode can go up a lot quicker because i don't have to edit it because we have done this album before but it's been a while since we've talked about it and it'd be fun to get your fresh perspective on it but before we do that you do have something to promote so let's get that out of the way i like to get that out of the way uh if if people have the time sensitive stuff so Oh, sure. Uh, I am starting a Kickstarter because I would like to put a moon base <laughs> on Jupiter. Oh, wow. I haven't figured everything out yet. Sure. Um, cool. Yeah, but th- that's my plan is to build a base on the moon. May I suggest? Then okay, take that so to Jupiter. Oh, okay. See, that was going to be my next question. I was like, well, you would normally you might refer to that as a Jupiter base, but you have decided specifically you want it to the specs of the moon, but then you want to transfer it to Jupiter and see what happens? Exactly. Okay. Well, that's fine. I'm, I'm excited to see. And what's your goal right now? Uh, $13 billion? $13 billion. Okay. And when does this yeah, with And that's with three question marks at the end. <laughs> I didn't know Kickstarter allowed you to do that. That's great. It's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, <laughs> I just coughed into the microphone. Uh, but you do have a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that's the other one. <laughs> that's what I meant specifically. Oh, all right. There's also a, a, a documentary film called Be a Man, um, and that is uh, coming out on uh, October 7th mm-hmm. um, on iTunes, Amazon, and all of the digital webscapes. And uh, I'm very excited. It feels like it's finally going to exist. That's awesome. And uh, tell the audience a little bit about it. I ha- And I apologize. I did not get to watch it yet. I really want to, but I, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. No, it's totally it. fine. I think I spoiled the ending with the, with the moon base tease. Because <laughs> that's what it, it's, it originally was going to be called build a moon base. <laughs> and we had some, uh, we had some issues with that. I guess JJ uh, Abrams um, already copyrighted that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. He's yeah. got his hands in so many different pies. Yeah, he he sent me an email and he said I already mailed that to myself. So you are S O L, and um, and I was like S O L sounds like a stepdad phrase. It really does. And I am now. I'm sorry. I'm riffing way too much. Uh, so be a man. Uh, long story short, my uh, my childhood was uh, sans men. Uh, I I grew up with my mother, my grandmother, and my great grandmother. I never had any men in my life, and then um, cut to. Uh, being an adult uh, and and being married and having a house and then my wife told me she was pregnant and I had a an existential crisis uh, I panicked because I didn't know how to be a dad or what that even looks like because wow. I never had had one growing up so I decided to do all of these manly things that I thought 
made you a man when I was a little kid. <laughs> and um, so I set out to kind of take that journey, and uh, and the documentary uh, follows that journey. Well, see, now I'm even more excited to see it. Um, that's fantastic. And I like that you picked an album with man in the title. I didn't realize it until <laughs> I was maybe like halfway through re-listening, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this is actually, there's a good portion of this album that is... Um, mirroring a lot of my own internal struggle uh-huh. of masculinity, and because I, I don't know, I'm you know, it's 2016. I am 33, um, so I grew up in that era where I was raised with um, like Roseanne and and you know Wonder Years and right. things like that. That's those were the men that I saw, and as I grew up, it turned into like MacGyver and <laughs> Magnum PI. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then I was stuck as a stunted man boy trying to figure things out before my son was born. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to do the fighting and the drinking and the cars. <laughs> and, um, and it's, it's insane. The, the, the journey was fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought I would do, I thought I'd, I thought I would do funny things you know being a comedian and and being put in situations i was like oh this will be funny right and then every time it was being confronted with uh with this weird middle school thing that was inside me like this tiny little little person inside me was like oh no all of these things are getting dredged back up <laughs> and so i went from being you know a pacifist to being uh just standing in a, a boxing ring with vinny pazienza five-time world champion boxer oh my god and uh and uh, apparently i had pissed him off by asking him to do this <laughs> and so that did not go well and just getting to relive some fun childhood stuff uh riding around in a in a delorean uh from the back to the future movies that oh. was fantastic and and you know talk to a lot of great comics and it's it's fun it's a love letter to my son and and it's very funny and um i'm excited for it to exist that's awesome um but moon bases. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moon bases are what's important. That is why we're here, kids. Um, so, my God. So I'm looking through the track listing again of of this album. So it's 1995. So you're you're a few y- years younger than me. My guess is you didn't hear this when it was released. But it, or am I totally wrong? Um, I don't remember when it hit me, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably something that uh, most people uh, say. Yeah. I, I, I th- I want to say I, th- I think I came across this. I was in high school, and um, I came across it in a in a bookstore, which is I think where you should come across like fringe comedy. Oh yeah, is in a bookstore, and uh, and I saw the CD and it blew my mind. I was like, wait, this Bruce McCullough from <laughs> Kids in the Hall has an album, right? And I thought it was going to be stand up, right? Sure. And so I, I paid for it, and I and I went home, and I was so excited to listen to it. And the first time, like from the first track, I went, "Oh, this is very different." And um, and but I was hooked like yeah. immediately. I, I think normally something like that would turn me off. In, in what would, way? Well, I think it comes across. Uh, oh boy! Like if you aren't immediately sold on Kids in the Hall, sure, okay, yeah. I think it can come across incredibly precious. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, yeah, re- I remember when somebody first, uh, I think it was Ben Acker, Thrilling Adventure Hour, he's the one who uh, first picked this for the show, and we listened to it, and I'm like, I love Kids in the Hall, and I especially <laughs> love Bruce McCullough, but I'm like, holy fuck, this is just like, this is a 20-something 
making an album about a 20 something's brain a particularly brilliant 20 something but like he's mm. just he's he's just this is what it's like to make an art project is what it feels like so i completely <laughs> understand what you're saying yeah but i think I, like i wasn't even in college at the time mm-hmm. and and so i was i was primed to have the the angst and the sense of having already judged the world and yep. found it wanting <laughs> So I was prepared to be like, yes, this is what it is. This is th- give me more of your reality. Yeah, and um, I, I, I do. And, oh, partic- I'm sorry. I, I do particularly like his his point of view and and the fact that that is mixed. It's so dripping in irony while at the same time being having this sincere cynicism to it. If that makes any sense, I think there's a beautiful um, tragedy in. It throughout the whole thing I yep. think the subtext of everything is uh, I, I was thinking about it earlier and it's like it's this idea of everyone being a, a victim of circumstance from the the very very rich to the very very poor um, you're just stuck wherever you are yeah uh, either in a relationship uh, there's a lot of like angsty breakupy feeling right in, in the film uh, film in the album <laughs> In the sound film, <laughs> and um, <laughs> there's the, but there's also this this hope to it that comes across like a like a minimum wage hero. Yeah, like he's gonna. Don't worry, we're all stuck in this crappy job, but you're gonna you're gonna love these tiny quiet moments. Yeah, I I I, I the the more I think about it, and the more I watch, you know, and I'm always going to be comparing this to what I see on Kids in the Hall. Uh, just because that was my first exposure to him, I feel like I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm trying to peg where he's going to fall at the end of his career and what he's going to mean to the world of comedy because he's somehow in one of the most popular sketch groups of all time. But like you say, fringe is a very good word for what this album is. It's its own thing completely. Yeah, and, and from what I understand of of like articles I've read and and interviews and things like that, he's definitely. I read his memoir as well. Mm-hmm. Um, He's especially at that time, he was just running away from any semblance of uh, normal and and expectation. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of this is is that sense of just, well, I'll put something out that I only I want to hear. Yep. Yeah. And then people embraced it. And he was like, oh, no. <laughs> and and then he did um, the, the drunk baby project. And uh, and I still love that as well. Yeah. So I think there's a that's a very Bruce McCullough thing. Like, let me. Oh, oh you want to like me? Then prove that you want to like me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there is, and there's that tone throughout the whole thing. There's that tone in his acting. Even there are times when I feel like he is pushing me to either not enjoy him or really appreciate what he's doing to push me. And, and that is such a struggle to be a fan of him. I know. Like I, I am a tried and true like deep in my bones fan of Bruce McCullough I mean Kids in the Hall is my biggest influence of uh, just having a sense of humor and what I find funny and I always loved the um, like the absurdity of reality that Kids in the Hall showed Mm -hmm. and and you know finding very very tiny mundane things and and it just expanding and expanding and expanding until the most normal thing becomes just crazy and, uh, you know, I would watch kids in the hall thinking, oh, I love this tone. I love uh, what they are doing and what they are saying. 
And I think listening to the album was the first time I realized, oh, that that's not a tone that the show has. The show is a collection of five different people's very specific uh, sense of humor. And yeah. Bruce's is, I think it's just, it's that bass tone that, that everything carries through. It's true. Yeah, I, that, is, that is one reason why, while the show is still rewatchable, it is... I, it is one of those things that I can't really passively watch. I can passively absorb like a Monty Python because I love Monty Python. But sure. this, this, the, if, if we're going to kids in the hall, I, it's I have to actively watch and be ready to watch. And that could just be my brain, but it is so it's it, it's jarring from one sketch to the next, even if they're sort of <laughs> connected because there's all those voices there. And the fact that the guy who made this album is also the guy with a cabbage for a head is <laughs> at the same time, like it, it makes sense, but it also feels like it, there, there's almost this thing of specifically with a sketch like that, that is obviously making fun of a lot of different tropes in sketch while it's making fun of those tropes. It's also, I feel like, I feel like there's a part of him as the pretentious 20 something that he was, that was like, well, are you laughing at me or are you laughing at the wrong thing? Like, it just does feel like a test no matter what. And uh, while I, I, I kind of like that challenge personally, it's <laughs> I can see why it might turn some people off. Oh, yeah. I think I think something like this is such a oh, it's a it's a very academic mm-hmm. pursuit. And um, uh, I don't know. I don't know why it hit me the way it did when I first heard it. I, maybe because it was so different. Mm-hmm. Um I think it, I think it fits in a different time. Yeah, um, you know that kind of the, the spoken word um, sensibility to it. I think fits in an earlier kind of exploratory comedy world. Yeah, um, I'm thinking like, uh, like Fire Sign Theater, like the the yep. more theatrical kind of radio based comedy, and then here comes this album from uh, basically like the grunge comedy troupe. Um, that is is very unexpected. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. I, I if uh, if we're you know, I'd honestly I'd never heard anybody refer to them as grunge comedy, but I do feel like in, at least in terms of period, that's absolutely perfect. And in terms of aesthetic, because they're not punk, they they have a punk aesthetic to them. In that, and probably all because of Bruce McCullough. But <laughs> uh, yeah, there is definitely that. Yeah, that I think it's grunge so though, because I think punk would be. I think everybody in the troupe would, if if they were surrounded by like a punk kind of ideal, they'd be like, "It's a little loud in here." Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's it's that would be too that would not be Canadian enough. This is this is absolutely perfectly Canadian at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, and ironically, I mean, you have uh, Vigil mm-hmm. on the album, and you know the it's a kind of ode to the Seattle scene when. Kurt Cobain killed himself mm-hmm. and um, I remember oh that's how I got oh my god so I got the I got the CD and I was super excited that I had the CD and I had my first computer and because uh, yeah that's right around the right time yeah I had my first computer so I I burned the CD on my computer I you know just I ripped it there and I would listen to it on my computer and it screwed up the track uh, listing <laughs> so Vigil was always the first thing that came up and that's how I was introduced to the album was that that was the first track. And I was like, this isn't even really funny. This is <laughs> right. This is just heartfelt and sad and and it's bu- but beautiful. Yeah. 
and um and i still listen to that and 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 i'm impressed with it and i feel like oh, this album just is a perfect sales pitch for why bruce mccullough needs to write um like essay formed novel like just give me books that are just tons and tons of short stories and not and like little uh essays and and things like that and i will just devour all of them yeah he yeah i and the more i'm thinking about it i'm I'm trying to figure out what his i I want to know something like that would be perfect because i would like to know what his evolution has been mentally as a comedian because i mean he's even talked about recently how he's you know i've calmed down a bit since i was in my 20s but like has he i want to know because he's made some real you know and i I don't mean this in an insulting way some real pedestrian stuff since then but it's it's money making stuff i do want to know i want to know creatively where this guy's brain is at right now like if he were to do a new album today what is that what does that become is it now i actually speaking of which i have not heard drunk baby project so how does it compare how similar or different are they um I think it's more musical okay. than uh, than Shame Based Man, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a couple of tracks on there that I tend to skip, okay. Uh, because once I think they're more once you get the the initial joke, it's like okay, this was great, and then let's move on to the next one, okay. But there's some stuff on there that's really really great. Um, uh, I'm struggling to come up with an example because they're mostly songs. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, there's some fantastic stuff on there. And um, it's still great. It's still very good. Um, but uh, like I did some reading, and uh, I guess Shame Based Man kind of went out of print, and mm-hmm. fans were asking Bruce where they could get uh, Shame Based Man. And he's like, I don't know. I can't even get it myself. <laughs> so he released uh, Drunk Baby Project on his own. Wow. Uh, you know, in answer to that, well, here, now you can get this. That's crazy. So. Yeah, there's that sense of it. And I think with something like a shame based man or a drunk baby project, they're so they're so uh just in a passing moment, they're so tied to a very specific moment in his life, in the listener's life and and you know, you're creating these these collections of little sketches or songs or you know, poems whatever. Um I think that I think each one of those albums would be completely different even six months later. Yeah, no, like I oh, I really liked this part, but right, right. I had a uh, I had a better thing come into my head, you know, a week later. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, do you so in re-listening? I don't know how recently you re-listened to it, but do you have? You probably don't even need to. Do you have a favorite track off of the whole thing? Uh, I I did re-listen to it last night mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I do it occasionally. I feel like I need to, there are moments where I'm like, I need to get back to certain comedy things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I will rewatch Roseanne from time to time because uh-huh. it's uh, a phenomenal sitcom. Like it's in my mind, it is the, that's the top mm-hmm. of the, of that particular mountain. So I like to revisit that. And then I have, you know, comedy films. I'm like, okay, those are the ones that I aspire to. Um, so this album is is easy for me to revisit as a comedian, as a stand-up, because I don't feel um, the fear of, of something rubbing off the wrong the wrong way. Okay, the way I would if I was listening to a stand-up album. Yeah, like uh, you know, Kyle Kinane I think is a fantastic stand-up comedian. I'm that's like the last big fan moment I had before I was too far into comedy to be like, oh, I'm a fan 
um, as an audience member. Yeah. Um, but even now, if I go back and listen to like Death of the Party or something, it's I'm listening to it in a very different way and kind of pushed back a little bit. Yeah. A, a little bit just because I don't want something to get into my mind. And then I'm writing a joke that's too similar or my voice starts to sound that way. Yeah. Um, so with this, I can just I can just wallow in it. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, I get and not that. worry about that. I, I, uh, I have the the luxury of not being a stand up, at least for that that uh, that part of it. Um, but I, 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 I completely get that. Do you think we this is going to go off on a tangent a bit, but. Do you think that fear is unfounded? Do you think it's just our own paranoia? Because I have it with other things, not stand up particularly. But do you think it's? Do you think it actually would affect you if, if you if you dug deeper? Um, I think. I think in any creative form, I think you get nervous that you're just going to. I think it's a sense of being found out. Yeah. Yep. And feeling like a fraud. Uh, like if somebody looks too closely, it's like, oh no, you're going to see my influences. Right, right. Um, it, because there's a difference between influence and and just outright, oh, you're doing that person. Sure. You know, um, I think with stand up, it's a little harder because like you can watch a sketch and go, I can feel their influence here. Clearly, whoever wrote this loves you know X Y Z whatever sure. sketch troupe or or. You know, you can, I mean, you can look at a sketch and go, oh, this person liked this era of SNL. Right. Um, but it's not coming through in a sense of, oh, that person just sounds like that, that writer. Right. Um, with stand-up, because it's just a singular thing, it's just a voice and, and you're talking and you're, t- you're telling a joke, there are rhythms and cadences that can come, I mean they can just be ripped whole cloth from somebody else and when a comedian is starting it's like you can you can look at somebody on stage and go oh okay here are the two comedians they like the most because they sound exactly like them right yeah I mean, and then you kind of let it become your own um you have less to mask you if it is just you and your voice and a microphone yeah and it worries me because i mean so many times comedians will come up with a joke and or a structured thing uh, where there's like a punch right here and then you'll see uh, you know a, a, an established national comic like on television or in a special or something like that and they they do that same exact thing and you go oh and it's like you're mentally just crossing it off the list mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. don't do that anymore um, because comedy's a finite thing and, and the way you structure a joke is just going to be there's only so many ways you can do it uh, when you can't use editing or visuals or anything else um so yeah, I think there is a, a guarded sense there. At the same time, I think as creatives, we all tend to get a little too worried about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I went through a phase as a stand-up where I was like, I'm, uh, I'm throwing away so much material because I'm afraid that even the topic has been touched before. Yeah, right, right. And it took me a, a, a little while for me to finally just just go. I mean, everything's been talked about. Yeah. There isn't a single topic in the world that hasn't been dealt with in stand-up in some capacity. Sure. So, you know, you just have to make it your own. You have to talk about it from your perspective and and not worry about that. Um, but, yeah, I think there is a little more safety because I don't want I don't want my inner monologue to start to carry the rhythms that another comedian has. I get that. I get that. And that, that does make sense. And luckily... The bonus here with with a Bruce McCullough, 
I don't think anybody ever could even try <laughs> to mimic what he does. There's no, I mean, and I've I've tried to do an impression of the man. It just doesn't, you can't, it's not, he is otherworldly in that way to the point where, yeah, I feel like you can absorb this. I mean, he's he's dealing with, again, some classic themes, like you say, nothing, nothing hasn't been touched on, but he does it in these ways where you have no, you have zero idea what he's actually talking about. Um, <laughs> right, but there's some beautiful things. Uh, oh, I absolutely. Mean, your original question was, uh, you know, is there a, a, a track that's like my favorite yeah. track on the album? I think it's uh, "When You're Fat." I think is the mm-hmm, name of it, mm-hmm. um, because on its surface, it could be seen as a, you know, I think if I saw the the track title on a lot of different <laughs> comedians' albums, uh, my I, my eyes would just roll right in the back of my head. Yep. Um, but it's this sad, maudlin song about this poor woman who is alone and and feeling very alone on her birthday and just uh, everything's... It's just a sad, depressing moment in this woman's life. And it is so funny because it's... it's, it's it, it takes away all, you know, um, drama. It's just a person's life, and there's a line in it, uh, and I'm not going to do it justice. I can't remember it exactly, but it's like you, you know, your hand slips under the cover. She's laying in bed. Your hands, your hand slips under the covers, and you, you know, you climax, and then you roll over and think about your student loans. <laughs> and I ruined the cadence of it, the rhythm, everything. But that moment, I remember even back in high school hearing that and being like oh my god that's so <laughs> normal yeah. you know it's so yeah. overwhelmingly normal and then as i grew up i went through college and i really liked you know this the idea of this you know hyper specific uh normal reality being completely absurd and now i think about it as a 33 year old with a kid and you know crushing student loan debt i'm like oh yeah i know you mm-hmm. I, I know you yeah <laughs> yeah so it's just a beautiful moment Man. uh yeah i think that's it, there's there's so much of that in his in his albums mm-hmm. and kids in the hall and I think anybody that is a fan of Kids in the Hall can watch the show and a sketch will pop up and you just kind of inherently know who that's coming from. Yeah, that's true. That is true. It's <laughs> it's it, that that is the challenging thing about his work and about their work where, you know, there are a lot of comedians. I, I interview, you know, every few weeks I interview somebody new and everybody's got their own perspective. Most of them are stand ups or at least actors, but most of them are stand ups. And, you know, you will frequently get, and I won't necessarily try and, I won't go out of my way to disagree with it, but there are people who are of the opinion that, well, whatever makes people laugh is that that's comedy. And that's, that's all it is. But this is a thinker to the point of frustration. And, and is it, who would you, do you, is this the kind of thing you would recommend to just any comic or do you have to feel it out and just say oh this is your you know if they've never heard of it oh this is your taste maybe you'd like this like is this an album that you've gone out of your way to recommend to people uh when i was younger i i would you know scream it from the hilltops mm-hmm. I, would, I, would, I would sing it is it sing it from the hilltops it's or, one of and those then two. shout it from the rooftops mm-hmm. it's broadcast it from the moon base i would broadcast it from the moon that, thank you, and we need to get that movement happening. <laughs> um, I would tell everybody about it, but it was in that very uh, college vein of just look what I found. Yeah, 
and and I'm aren't aren't I the best for having found this before you? Um, but I think now I've gotten I don't know if it's jaded or cynical of me to think it. I think it no. I think it's just more understanding that comedy is I- incredibly subjective and there are whole worlds of comedy that are for different people and mm. not at all for others. And I think I think this I think shame based man is one of those secret slide it across the table kind of moments where you go, I think this might be for you. Right. Have um, you, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to everybody. Sure. Have you connected to other comics? Over, I mean, have you ever had a discussion about this with, an, with another stand-up or other comedians of any stripe? Yes, a couple. Um, I think it's, uh, it's tricky because you tend to meet... Uh, it, like, if somebody's a big fan of Bruce McCullough and Shame Based Man they are automatically a fan of kids in the hall. I think it's a thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Venn diagram of somebody who is a lover of shame based man and not at all a fan (laughs) of kids in the hall. Maybe there's one person and it might be Bruce. (laughs) 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 But I, I, yeah. So I've had the conversation with people and I love, you know, waxing philosophical about the entire, uh, (laughs) the entire oeuvre. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, uh, like my, one of my closest friends, uh, is a huge, huge kids in the hall fan, a big fan of Bruce. And this album was actually one of those things that we originally connected on. We were working at a movie theater and, um, we were both projectionists and, and this is how we came and found each other, which sounds like a perfect, uh, track that would be on a Bruce album. (laughs) Right. These two projectionists, these lonely men in the in the night, finding each other in the flickering celluloid, right? <laughs> like that's just something that he would do, and we we just loved talking about it and and you know quoting things back, like people like normal people do with The Simpsons. Sure, that's yeah. what we were doing with this, and um, and uh, <laughs> and then there's an immediate shame washing over me because we. Uh, uh, so, uh, long story short, I had the opportunity to open for uh, Kevin McDonald mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago, and I was so excited and, and very happy to do it, and we hit it off, like, immediately. I love Kevin. Kevin's great, and um, we were, like, best buds for the weekend. It was just, it was wonderful. And so, the next time, um, uh, the, the troupe was getting together to do uh, a tour, uh, Kevin hooks me up with some tickets and I was so excited and we went and we watched the show and I had this beautiful you know middle school moment in the in the crowd that and I could watch the show and it was great they were fantastic they were nothing was lost it it was still just as sharp Mm -hmm. and um uh and there the bite was still there like it it still hurt a little bit which was great that's awesome and uh and so afterwards uh we went backstage and and I tried to compose myself, and I brought Tom, my, my friend Tom, with me, the, the projectionist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was very excited. And he can be cool in a moment, and I, a way I can't because um, I'm too in my own head. Sure. And so we, we met everybody, and everybody was fantastic, overwhelmingly normal and inviting. And I just kind of stood there uncomfortable. And all of these feelings of, like, I, I need to tell Bruce McCullough these things uh-huh. right <laughs> but I don't want to be that person sure especially around a guy who 
is kind of just he he exudes a sense of not wanting that. Right, right. And I made it through most of the the time we were all hanging out, and right at the end, I just kind of let everything uh, fall out of my mouth, <laughs> and I was just like, I just think you're great, and you've been a bit of inspiration for me, and I have both of your albums, and you should really write a book. And I was just getting like ushered out of the room. <laughs> by Tom. I wasn't getting kicked out, but my friend Tom was like pushing me out of the room like just get out of here. Um and it it that will eat away at me for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's that's the experience you're going to get with Bruce McCullough. I yeah, is there <clears throat> ever a moment where you can be like, "Oh yeah, it was totally cool and he was No. he was super cash." No, that's and <laughs> if you if you want to go based off of the character he portrays I was just thinking about it he's like a more slightly more approachable Andy Kaufman character uh, and I never say Kaufman I don't know where that came from he is I feel like he lives for the theater of life to the extent that he's perfectly happy knowing that other people are awkward in his presence and that might be in that way you made it perfect for him so therefore you did have the perfect Bruce McCall experience <laughs> yeah I think you're right I think you're absolutely right because he does there's a very short list of people that would terrify me if I knew they were watching my set. Uh, right. Just, like, to the bone. Like, oh, I don't know if I could go out there. Yeah. And uh, the the list is, like, two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's Bruce McCullough. And um, the other one is Stuart Lee. But, I mean, that's that's a whole different story. But, yeah, because um, yeah, there's a sense of even if you were getting along with him and everything was great and and you knew each other fairly well at that point there i feel like at any moment he could just turn (laughs) and it would it would all crumble in front of you like you're both he strikes me as the type that you're both laughing at a thing that just happened and then he just abruptly stops and goes now why do you find that funny yeah that is that is there needs to be a word for that i'm sure the germans do have one but that is absolutely (laughs) correct that is exactly you get that from just his presence just from just from looking at him and you get that from if you look at a photo of him from 1992 to a photo of him yesterday there and mm-hmm. i and i've heard him interviewed he's a perfectly nice congenial fellow however yeah. there is yeah. something about him that scares you and that's okay i mean i think that's kind of cool but at the same time it's just like why how did he accomplish that why do i feel this way what does it say about me uh, but i completely relate to it I, I think you and i are both on the same wavelength about we feel about him the same way although you, I mean, you got to me. I don't. I wouldn't have even gotten those words out. I don't know how you manage that. That's, oh, and uh, please, please don't don't take that as me like name dropping in any way. No, no, I'm no, no. sure he would not remember a second of that interaction. But I will never be able to forget it. Of course, because it will always be a regret. Mm-hmm. Like I should, like I'm going to replay that over and over. Like how could I have been cool? <laughs> how could I have done it? And, at the and same I think time, that feeds into the grunge mentality. It really I think does. Bruce McCullough is, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, I think he is the Kurt Cobain <laughs> of sketch comedy. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I think I, I think that's that's not imperfect. That is, that is a very, uh, that's really great. I guess we're just lucky that, uh, you know, uh, we still got him. You know, sure, I'll, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Um, my God. You know, if, if I ever get him on the podcast, I, I won't necessarily say who told me that unless you want me to, but I feel like I should be like, somebody once told me that they think you're a <laughs> comedy, and then I want to see his reaction. Was he a big man in flannel? <laughs> you know, and it's, it was him. It was him. And this feeds into my uh, weird 
you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, um, you know, I didn't have a dad growing up. Right. I have, I understand and deal with the fact that I have um, daddy issues, sure. right? And they're going to come out in in this sense of, you know, working with people I admire. Sure, yeah. Um, especially in comedy. And, and so all of that stuff is just feeding into me with a guy like Bruce McCullough where it's like, oh, you're detached you're emotionally unavailable right. and you hide your feelings like this is a this is a perfect magnetic connection God, where yeah. whatever isms he has perfectly match like another lego piece <laughs> to these isms and yeah. i'm like yeah you can go ahead and absolutely emotionally wreck me go ahead <laughs> i will clean your car i i like that in terms of uh, what that probably does to your, your brain, specifically your brain, in terms of its receptiveness to different types of comedy, there are people who I've had to force myself to be interested in certain comedy. Uh, I've had to really push myself. I, w- I wonder if it's the same for you. Is is there? Do you find any kind of comedy completely out of reach for you, or are you pretty open to listening to new shit? Um, I mean, there was a period of time... Uh, like my my late college days and my early stand up days kind of overlap a little bit, and in that time I was definitely in that that vein of, uh, oh I've already figured out what's good and what's bad. Yeah, right. And let me tell you who's bad. You know, <laughs> um, I think as I've gotten older and more experienced in comedy, I think is more the the more important part of it. Um, I can appreciate the craft of just about any stand-up or sketch or anything like that, I think when it drifts towards more uh, being more absent of passion or, or, you know, somebody really loving what they're doing there, um, I think it's easy to see that, and that's when I tend to go, I, I, oh, it's homework. Yeah. You know, there, and there are things that feel like homework. Um, some seasons of Saturday Night Live feel yep. like homework when I'm in it, mm-hmm. and I'm watching, and and my wife jokes about it, and she's like, no, I get why you have to watch it. I just really don't want to right now. Sure, yeah. And uh, But then there's moments where it's magical, and I'm happy, and, and, and I love that it's there. But I um, like that you attribute that idea of it feeling like homework to being more of a lack of passion than your uh, unwillingness to give something a shot. Because it does seem like you're pretty open-minded when it comes to this stuff. Sure, and, and I mean, on a good day... That's how I want to. That's how I want to be at sure. least uh, portrayed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I at <laughs> least want my external image to be that. Um, I mean, internally, there. Yeah, if it's like if it's super hacky kind of stuff, I'm just like, I don't. I have no interest in this. This is not for me. Yeah. Um, but I think that comes with just really believing that there's comedy for everyone. Yeah. Everyone is going to have a certain type of comedy. That's because everybody's sense of humor is different. Sure. And it depends on how you're broken. It absolutely, you know, yeah. It, it, what way are you broken? You'll probably laugh at something in a different way. It's absolutely true. Um, I and I, I really want it. I, I don't know enough about. Here's the th- here's where I here's where I piss off those annoying commenters, and I say, oh, I don't know <laughs> such and such, and then they get angry. Uh, but I really don't know enough about his his backstory. I feel like I can infer a ton from his material, but I also feel like I can maybe infer nothing from it because he also could be playing the character of this broken man. You know, it, that's mm. that's what's so damn challenging about it. I'm sure he's dealt with some of this stuff. The addiction thing I know has been uh, he's talked about before. I know that there there is addiction in his past and bits and pieces of that kind of a broken childhood. Um, but I don't know the specifics. I don't know if I want to. 
Um, but that's that's part of where the challenge comes from. Yeah, I think I'm okay with not knowing his his past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my uh, my interest is definitely more in how the troop works mm-hmm. and and worked in the past, how they found each other. I know they've all talked about it, you know, um, over and over and over, especially, especially, uh, especially. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. You caught yourself. I did it. You caught yeah, yourself. I'll see my cell phone. <laughs> um, but but uh, especially since uh, the advent of, of podcasting, I think they've probably had to talk about it so much. Sure. Uh, that they they really do need to just make the book, just write the kids in the hall book, oh, yeah. and and get it done, um, because I am fascinated with it. I think because they are so different, and and you know, there's definitely been a lot of you know infighting with them, and but the fact that they're still kind of a family and come together, that's interesting. You know, how these very different voices work together is is a fascinating thing. It's true. I think the individual story, um. Yeah, not. I'm not as interested uh, because I think that that part is more personal than maybe I'd care to get with them. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, you, 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 it's a thin line to walk, but you're absolutely right in terms of in terms of just the fact that they stay together is kind of shocking. And like you say, there that if you can still uh, put together brilliantly biting satire, that's just I don't know. I don't get that. I don't get how you do it. I think that's great yeah. that they still do it, but uh, that's. But maybe that's part of the uh, because like you and I both are in sort of in that world of comedy. And maybe that's why we're we're uninterested or, or less interested in, you know, the more uh, like childhood kind of experience and growing up and, and, you know, becoming fully fleshed human being. Sure. Than we are in uh, when things started to happen, like any any of the SNL um, memoirs and things like that, if someone could just just like rip the book in half yeah where it starts when they got a phone call from you know a casting agent or something like that that's where it gets interesting for me because that is such a machine that i want to know more about that it's like i don't need to know if you were molested you know i I appreciate it i understand (laughs) of course but it's just so cliche (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's awful i feel terrible Oh my God! Yeah. Well, you know, I'm actually hoping. No, well, now I'm just gonna. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that this is definitely gonna happen. But I might have a pretty good like SNL half of the SNL origin story coming up on the podcast in a few months. Is what I'm is what I'm hoping. So. I, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I fingers crossed. Not as not a, you know it's not gonna be Lauren Michaels or anything. But my 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 hopes are that we're gonna have a l- at least half of the story. Um, and I'll tell a little, tell you a little bit about some of the stuff that we've already discussed when we stop recording because I can't again. Sure. Either way, but y- yeah, y- you're absolutely right that 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 is one of those stories that hasn't been properly told. It has been definitely told from certain perspectives, but you don't yeah, get a yeah. full per- picture. And you know, history is written by the winners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to. Do. You, you should tell me any questions you, you've got regarding the history of SNL because you might actually have some more intelligent questions than I do. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, oh my gosh. That's the, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't have to do that right now, do I? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, 100%. Okay. So. Uh, start with the, the molesting question. Yeah. I think okay. that, start there <laughs> and then just see where that goes. <laughs> just ask everybody that I, regardless of who it is that comes on this show, 
I just yeah. assumed that that's yeah. happened. Um, right. Just I think either that or start a new podcast. Mm-hmm. And you have guests on, mm-hmm. and the all you do is ask one question right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been molested? What was that like? Sure. And then just leave it. At, I really didn't want to talk about this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, we're getting wildly off topic from my moon base discussion. I know. I where did where the hell did the moon base go? I all I'm going to say yeah. is this: uh, the money mm-hmm. will come with the moon base. It's just going to take the upfront cost. Uh, Sports teams are going to pay a mint. If you think basketball is interesting now, (laughs) wait until they have less gravity and slam dunks become a three-minute event. (laughs) You guys, you guys got to get on top of this. The second this thing goes live, you guys got to make sure you're giving. What kind of, uh, so I'm assuming you got some like postcards and stuff people get for putting, giving you money. Oh, yeah. We have a whole tiered system mm-hmm. on Kickstarter for gift packages. Um, uh, some of the solid stuff is in the middle brackets. You so sure, $150,000. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually name uh, the the NBA team. Oh, that's great. Um, and it's it's fairly simple. You get to you don't get to name it just whatever you want. You sure. have to pick from a list. Okay. Um, it's all the existing NBA teams. Mm-hmm. But instead of the um, town or city in which they're based, it's just moon. <laughs> so it's like the moon hornets <laughs> and the moon bulls. And I like it because it just it turns them all into terrifying creatures. It really does. That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's like Chicago Bulls. Oh, yeah, that's the NBA team. Uh, Chicago, uh, or sorry, moon bulls. And you're like, okay, well, we need to fix that problem. <laughs> Much more for- formidable at that point. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, and to to get back to what you asked about, like listening to comedians and and being afraid of letting them creep into your voice, mm-hmm. I went on a Norm Macdonald YouTube binge last night, mm-hmm. and now I'm terrified that this is starting to creep <laughs> into Norm Macdonald territory. You should just embrace it. My my buddy Alan on my other podcast was just doing Norm Macdonald on the show the other day. Like he was just <laughs> doing an impression of him. Just he's like, let's let's try this out for five minutes, and it was uh, it was it was relaxing. But I understand you you've got a rep to protect. I get that. Oh, what little rep I have. <laughs> okay, so why listen to Shame Based Man if you haven't heard it before? If you are a fan of Kids in the Hall. What's a good reason? Oh, well, then, I mean, if you're a, if you are a fan of Kids in the Hall, mm-hmm. you've kind of already answered that question. I think right? so. It's another thing that they did, mm-hmm. um, because it, again, keeping in that grunge mentality, uh, it's like when that band was doing their thing, and then they break off, and then you're just left with Eddie Vedder, you know, and you're like, oh man, I'm, I, re- I I wonder what the the old bassist is doing, you know, <laughs> yeah, nothing. It's just Eddie. That's your only choice. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I think people tend to seek out those things. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Um, I've I think I've I think I have ingested every single media thing that exists f- that they've done uh, as offshoot projects. Yeah. Um, but for th- for shame based man, the 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 recommendation comes from I mean just how singularly Bruce McCullough it is, and listening to shame based man feels like you're getting a a concentrated like pitch meeting for uh, an entire season of the show right 
Like here are all of this is where his sense of humor lives. And you get to experience that for a while. And um, and some of it is fantastic. And other parts you're like, I don't know if I'm maybe I'm not keeping up with this or maybe he's not telling me the in the best way. <laughs> but s- there is a miscommunication happening somewhere. But that's a, that's a beautiful part of it because then like a line will hit you. I think his writing is phenomenal. Yeah. His writing makes me want to chop off my hands. <laughs> And I don't know why I would do that. I think you could chop one off mm-hmm. and then you're just kind of stuck holding a like holding a cleaver with the other one going, I didn't think this through. Because <laughs> how am I going to get this other one? It's so true. Uh, so, but no, yeah, his writing is fantastic. And I think having such a unique kind of spoken word album allows that to shine. And don't listen to it expecting like a, a beautiful voice to be singing. Right. Yeah. I, that was the other thing I forgot to bring up is that like that's not yeah that's absolutely not what you're getting but it's also at the same time very satisfying that that is the voice that's coming out because you that's what, that's the <laughs> voice you hope bruce would have i think um I th- it's like I'm, I'm reminded of a, a sketch that was on I, I don't know if it was on the u.s uh airing but um i found it forever ago and it's it's just bruce mccullough walking out onto the stage um uh, you know in the kids in the hall uh studio and he turns on a boombox and it's just like a very simple like drum beat happening mm-hmm. and he just starts slowly and very awkwardly dancing to it like with uh, like a toddler the way a toddler would dance <laughs> almost <laughs> and then the beat would drop and he'll like freeze for a second and then it'll come back in and then there's just a close-up of his face the 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 beat drops and he goes check it out and then it goes right <laughs> back into it if like that's a that's a litmus <laughs> test for somebody's sense of humor. Yeah. If you laugh at that, uh-huh. that's the type of comedy for you. And if you and but I completely understand why. Meanwhile, I'm laughing my ass off at it. But I completely understand why somebody would go. What is this? And why? Why are people laughing? Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's that's a perfect uh, condensing of, of why to listen to this thing and why it's kind of beautiful. Um. So all right. Ray Harrington, where can people find you online? Where can people find your movie? You go from there. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am on Twitter at Ray Harrington, uh, on Facebook, uh, whatever the weird URL is, uh, you, it, just Ray Harrington. And I'm on RayHarringtonComedy.com. Uh, and you can find uh, Be a Man. It will be on iTunes, Amazon, and all the other places. Uh, just uh, type in Be a Man, and it'll be there. Um, you can go to be a man the film dot com. I, I really am excited for the the movie to come out. I know it's a like oh this is when I'm supposed to plug it, but um, it's the it's the most personal and funniest thing I've done. So I'm really excited for it to exist. And of course, go to uh, buildthebase.org. <laughs> and that is uh, that has all the information about the moon base. We have some fantastic uh, blueprints uh, and some soil sample information there as well we're gonna build a pool because we just have no idea how that's even gonna feel sure to swim in less gravity that's that's super exciting to to be inside of a pool while it's surround like a sphere like it sounds mm. like it'd be a sphere pool a spherical floating pool boy i'm i'm getting more and more it feels about like this birth as we go yeah that's uh hmm I don't know if that's creepy. build the base dot org please <laughs> please make sure i mean the movie 
sure. I mean, of course. Yeah, we want yeah. you, but and we're, we're going to do screenings of the movie on the base. It's going to be a great thing. Oh, well, see, that's that's even more exciting. So, guys, this is going to be the first movie played on the moon. That's uh, I think it's going to be the second, actually. Oh, what's going to th- be the first one? Oh, I think they already, they've they've played a few movies. I feel like they've done that, haven't Have they? Have they tried to project a movie? Is this what you're telling me? That they projected oh a movie onto the the moon i was i was gonna i was gonna guess and this to death uh-huh. i really was yeah and then the 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 very real question of have any movies been played on the moon now i need to know that i can't imagine they can get any light projecting device to successful i could be I, I i know shit about shit when it comes to space but that said if they haven't this is this is but what about the like just the, what about in the capsule Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so yeah. could they have possibly brought some sort of media watching device with them? And did they, in fact, watch perhaps a feature or maybe even a short film? Did they right. did they riff a movie on the moon? Because that's oh. Uh, boy, oh boy. Yeah, because I th- I feel like if it were today, mm-hmm. uh, it it wouldn't it, it would be a, a non-starter. That question is sure. like, yeah, iPad Mini, you got it. It's all set. Right, right, right. Uh, but then, I mean, watching a movie on the moon—that's that's a, that's a to do. That's absolutely true. Boy, oh boy! Well, guys, it, they played golf. <laughs> it's true. Why not watch a movie? And then the question is, what movie should it be? Yeah, I don't know. That's really, oh boy! That's really oh hard. boy! I can't even I can't even improvise a, a really good joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we say brain candy? Let's see. Oh fuck! I love that movie. I know. I know. People sometimes don't like it. I love it. I really like. Who that doesn't like it? I want their names. People don't like. It. I've, I've heard that some of the kids in the hall themselves don't really. Oh, it. oh yeah, you know, they they're, they're they are picking. unhappy. But they made the whole movie when everything was breaking apart. Sure. And yeah. That, wow. Be, this is this is the fear of being a, a kids in the hall fan is it becomes part gossip show. Yeah. Right. Right. Where it's like, well, I heard. <laughs> you know, Dave didn't want to do the movie. Well, when I have one, of and them they on had the to, they had to practically threaten to sue him to do the movie, and that's why he's not in it a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, once I have one it was of them only on the a show, we'll have to ask them tons of que- ton of questions. Ask them if they want yes. it to be played on the moon. That is going to be question number two. Well, I'm going to give you my um, contact for for one of them. I won't say who. Uh, and, I'll take and, it. Yeah, for sure, because that would be a fantastic conversation. Oh, I agree. Um, well, Ray, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you're thank welcome. Thank you for back having me. Sincerely, this was fun. Anytime. Uh, I don't know if you're ever in LA performing or just visiting, but feel free come back on the show. This was a ton okay. of fun. Uh, please, guys, uh, go to the web the website again, the actual website again. Oh, uh, beamanthefilm.com. Beamanthefilm.com. Uh, guys, check us out. You know where to find us. We're at Comedy on Vinyl everywhere. Go to lookingforwardmovie.com, which is my movie that's coming out one blog at a time throughout 2016 uh, through November. And uh, it's fucking weird. We're at eight hours now, eight plus hours at this point. And at some point, it'll be cut into a watchable single piece of something um so yeah thank you guys for listening ray thank you again for doing the show sincerely thank you and as always have a good thing comedy on vinyl is a production of stolen dress entertainment it is produced by mike warden and is hosted and edited by jason klom our theme song was composed and performed by richard levinson Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. 
Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. <laughs>